0: Good morning, my name is Julie Steele, and this morning our scripture reading is from the book of Hebrews. You can follow along in your Bibles or use the screens behind me. I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 in the new, internet, new excuse me, American Standard Bible. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish. But you remain, and they will all become old like a garment. And like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. My name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, this morning we are continuing in our series in the book of Hebrews called "Witness in Christ in Culture," and the basic framework of the series is this: that most people who claim to bear witness to Christ, who claim to follow Christ, who claim to know Christ, aren't actually bearing witness to the real person of Jesus Christ, but. Perhaps unbeknownst to them, they bear witness to their own agendas, their own worldview, their own perspectives. And therefore, they uh, are speaking hearsay or heresy, but they're not actually giving firsthand accounts of who Jesus is and how he operates uh, in the world. And so most of the culture at large They uh, stumble on Christians rather than on Christ, and they reject Christianity based on uh, the so-called Christians who bear so-called witness uh, to their Christ, but they never actually get to meet Christ themselves, and therefore they don't actually reject Christ. And this series is based um, on an invitation to ask you all to uh, be open to the assumptions and your beliefs, and be open to who Christ really is in your life and in the world. And he's different, he is large, and he is uh, so much more than we could ever fathom. And so uh, I want to invite you to be a student again and learn about who Jesus is and figure out how to bear witness to this actual Jesus Uh, in the culture, how to engage the culture, how to love on the culture, and how to be part of redeeming the culture with your firsthand testimony in hand. Okay? Today, uh, I want to talk about this idea of perfect. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 3, refers back to verses 10 through 12, the verses that were read for us today, and calls chapter 1, So Great a Salvation. And so I want to ask the question, what's so great about salvation? And why is it such a great salvation? What is it? Uh, And uh, it's my um, uh, just absolute uh, relief to be able to say to you that you and I have never, ever experienced perfect outside of Christ before. None of us have ever met a perfect person. None of us have ever been perfect ourselves. We have never uh, been in an institution or a system that is perfect. We can't even imagine what a perfect person would look like or act like or be like in a certain situation. We have never, ever encountered perfect. And uh, it's unlike anything we have ever seen uh, this perfect is the person of Jesus, and he is absolutely perfect. Here's a doxology that I uh, wrote up this week that we'll refer back to at the end of the sermon. Let me read it for us here. Jesus has no needs, no deficiencies, no ulterior motives, and no conflicts of interest. He has no anxieties, no fears is always loving, and therefore never under or over-functioning. He makes no mistakes, has no regrets, and is always wise. He is entirely trustworthy, fully engaged, and without limitations. He is all-powerful, all-wise, faithful, true, and good. He understands completely, and yet he is merciful, just, Humble and righteous. From him, through him, and to him are all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, do any of you know a person like this in your life? Okay, we'll start a little bit closer. Are you like this in any way whatsoever? Let's go one more generation. Is your mom like this? We won't even ask about the dads. Do you have a relative or a friend or a boss? How about a government official? Anybody like this at all? We can't even imagine what this person would be like. And I want to tell you today that we, you and I, We're not perfect, but we were created by the perfect, for the perfect. But never, never was it in the plans for us to be perfect in and of ourselves. We were always made to be complete in Christ, to be made perfect in Christ. But apart from Christ, there is no such thing as perfect. Not in you, not in anybody else, not in this world, not now, not before, not ever. Perfect does not exist outside of Christ. And this is what the passage is saying. That time and change applies when things are imperfect. There are deficiencies, holes, and they get filled up. They get eroded. They de- te- deteriorate or they grow and become better because it's not perfect. But when something is perfect, it's timeless. It's eternal. It's ageless. It's the same because if it changes even one little bit, that means it was prior to that imperfect. So perfect, by definition, means that it is eternal, the same, forever and ever. So what I want to do today is take something grand and large and theological, like this idea of perfect, and then I want to make it intensely personal and practical for you and I. The fact that Jesus alone is perfect, what does that mean For us, I have two points through which I want to communicate this. The first one is Jesus is perfect. Always. Always. By definition, Jesus is perfect. He's the same. Always. And two, you will never be. Ever. And I put that in parentheses to kind of soften it (laughs) for us. I hope that helps. It's like a parenthetical statement, you know. Okay, Jesus is perfect always. Let me read the verses again, 10, 11, 12. And you, Lord, in the beginning, lay the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish. Now, ask the question, if Jesus laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of his hands, why will they perish? Right? That's what we'll get to. But you remain... And they all will become old like a garment, and like a mantle, you will roll it up, and like a garment, they will also be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. Now, the Bible often repeats this idea of God being the same, never changing, and it says this thing as a praise. And I, for the longest time, could not understand why the fact that God is the same is a praise. Because to me, that seems boring. It's like God is predictable. He's the same boring God that he was yesterday. He will always be boring. He is unchanging. Uh, When I went away to college for the first time, and I came back home Christmas break, and I was so excited to show my brand new self to my friends back at home. I wanted so badly for my family and my friends to think, wow, Peter changed. He's different. I don't know what it is about him, but he's not like how he was. It took about a day or so for my family to realize I'm exactly the same as they started pushing the buttons on me that they themselves installed over the years. (laughs) And then my friends, a couple of days for them to figure out, oh, Peter's the same. He tells the same jokes. He's still the same inappropriate, weird guy. I hadn't changed at all, but I so badly wanted to have changed. Now, years, many years, decades later, in fact, I realized that my role in life basically will always be to be a disappointment to people. Now, think about this. I am imperfect, and my best euphemism for myself is that I'm a work in progress that I'm changing all the time. That's my best hope for you. I'm changing. I'm not the same. And if I were to remain the same, that would be a huge disappointment to you all. And I have come to terms with this. The 15 hats I wear in this job. You know, And then in life, as a dad, as a husband, as a citizen, as a Christian, as a pastor, as a leader... I understand that I'm always going to be disappointing people, that I will always be imperfect. And coming to peace with that has given me so much relief. Now, I'm not disappointed when you're disappointed. We all knew we would be disappointed. I'm disappointed in you, you're disappointed in me, and we're all happy being disappointed together. Here's a definition of perfect. Having all the required or desirable elements, qualities, or characteristics. Is that me? Nope. Not even my kids think so. (laughs) Is that you? Do you have all of the required or desirable elements, qualities, or characteristics? No, you don't. Here's a second definition. Absolute, complete. Is anybody absolutely complete? Anybody? No, we've already established this. There's no such thing as perfect in our midst, right? In grammar, there's something called a perfect tense. This gets way intense. Check this out. You didn't know grammar could be so intense. Indicates either an action was completed, finished, or perfected at some point in the past or the action extends to the present. Meaning, one action was completed once and for all, and there's no change. It's still done. It was perfect then, it's perfect now, and it will always be perfect. That's the perfect tense. Into perpetuity. Perfect. Anything like that in life? What is perfect in your life? The closest thing that I can think of is a brand new baby. Uh, This week, Susie and I visited little Theo Krell. Uh, He was actually at church this morning at the first service, and he is absolutely perfect. He's perfect. And yet, he is incomplete. His muscles need to develop. That guy has no coordination whatsoever. He could not do basic math. I asked him, I said, what's one plus one? He's so dumb. He has no idea. He had no manners either. You would not believe what he was doing while I was holding him. What's wrong with this kid? Well, he is perfect, but he is absolutely the biggest problem in the Krell's life if he doesn't change. If he doesn't grow, if he remained a baby, that's a problem. Now, I'm going to get in your face a little bit. If you are an adult, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, if you are not changing, if you are not growing, if you don't remain a student in life, it's your biggest problem. The one big problem in your life is that you are not a learning, growing person. You believe you're okay just as you were 10 years ago. And you're not. Your mind needs to expand. Your heart needs to be softened. You need to figure out how to say I'm sorry and take personal responsibility as a person. And you need to be learning this again and again and again till the day you die. Because you are not perfect. For God... It's absolutely amazing that he's the same because he's perfect. We would be doomed if he started changing, if he was fickle, if he was unpredictable, if he wasn't the way he was when he gave his son to die on the cross for us. If he's all of a sudden different, we're in trouble. But for us, we're in trouble if we don't change. Because we are not God. You understand this is one of our biggest problems, is wanting to be like God when we are not. We are created beings. We are creation. Change must be a constant in our life. We have to maintain this tension that pulls us forward and upward all the time. If we are not God. Now, the context of this uh, passage is Psalm 102. Most of the verses that we read are direct quotes from Psalm 102. And if you look that up, you'll see that the title of this entire psalm is A Man in Affliction. And this man in affliction quotes uh, these verses, stating them as a great comfort to him while he is experiencing despair and hopelessness. Why? Why is the fact that life is so hard and the fact that God is unchanging such a great comfort? And then we get to the second point. You will never be ever. Is perfection ever an option for you or for me at any time? So you get into a brand new relationship. How many days or minutes before things start getting complicated? Before you have a little bit of conflict or you start rubbing each other the wrong way or there's a little misunderstanding or you have to clarify something and then you realize, oh, man, this relationship is not going to go unscathed. How many days in a job before you realize people around you aren't perfect or you're not going to do your job perfectly? How many Sundays do you have to come to a new church before you realize, oh, this church too? (laughs) Is perfection ever an option ever? Have you ever made a perfect decision and then it went just as you thought? Perfection is not an option, right? Uh, Susie and I are in the midst of home uh, kitchen remodel and we were hoping we would be done in a month. We just have our kitchen sink for the first time in 10 weeks as of last night. Is perfection an option? It's never an option. We are creation. We will always be creation. We will never be the creator. We will never be God. Check this out. Verse 11. God makes creation. And then the second uh, thought is, they will perish, but you remain. Perfection does not exist outside of God. Perfection is only to be found in Christ. And everything outside of Christ will perish. Everything outside of Christ is subject to deterioration and a constant move towards chaos. Everything outside of Christ will be no more. You know, the scriptures, when they talk about our righteousness or our holiness, or our even perfection, it says, be perfect, be holy. What they're talking about is not us being made complete in and of ourselves. We, as we are, we will never get there. In fact, this is by definition what Christianity is. Christianity doesn't say, here is a way, finally a way for you to really like yourself, for you to feel great about who you are. That's never the Christian message. In fact, the Christian message is the opposite. Here is a way you can finally stop trying to be awesome on your own. Because you are not God. You are never, ever going to be perfection is not an option. The righteousness that Christ offers is not a status outside of himself that you get to sort of walk away with. It's not holiness by yourself on your own. What Christianity is, is you are made by the perfect for the perfect, made to be inside the perfect so that you will not perish. You have to be okay with that. And coming to terms with the fact that you are not sufficient on your own, being okay with that, in fact, being glad about that is what Christianity is about. I know we all live with tension because each day somehow... So that it creeps up on us. We strive for perfection. We feel tension with other people because they're not perfect. Now, what did you expect? Did you expect your time at the grocery store to go perfectly well? Did you expect that? Why, why would it be perfect? Why would this drive be perfect? Why would this relationship be perfect, this conversation be perfect? You are never, ever going to have a perfect day. And if you are a follower of Christ, you are okay with that. You're no longer battling the need for perfection outside of Christ. That's the whole deal. You've given up on perfection. You've given up on yourself being God. And the idea is through this live relational connection to Christ, you are part of something that is perfect. You're brought up into the perfect. You are never, ever going to be perfect independently. You don't have any status, any worthiness apart from Christ. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. You are not righteous ever on your own. You cannot be apart from your connection to Christ. And so we understand that they will perish, but he remains. Come to terms with this truth. Perfection is not an option outside of Christ. You will never have a single circumstance, a moment, or interaction that is perfect outside of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 10 says this, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. And until the perfect comes, we live in a partial world, as a partial person, longing to be made complete in Christ. Are you okay with this? Are you okay with imperfect Will anything ever be perfect in your life? Ever. The answer is no. Outside of Christ. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. This statement will never ever be said of you. Ever. Never of me. I am intolerable, I am not lovely, that's not why God loves me, and I am deficient as I am. Nobody will ever write a doxology praising me, ever. It's not going to happen. I want it so bad, but it's not going to happen, and it shouldn't happen. That creates stress and tension in my life that's destructive. But there is a tension that is good and life-giving. And that is the tension to learn and grow about Christ. To learn and grow into Christ. I don't know what you imagine life is going to be. I don't know what you think eternity is going to be. But forever and a day, we're going to be in tension, constantly pulled upward as we Wonder out loud at the awesomeness and the greatness of who God is. Heaven is not going to be this dull, boring experience, but we are going to be captured, raptured in this knowing Christ deal forever. He is infinite. We are finite. And we will forever be learning about him. Drawing closer and closer to Him. They will never, ever be uh, uh, learning material that runs out. This is going to be what part of what heaven is like. In Christ, you will live in glorious tension forever, in wonder and awe and joy and satisfaction. Now, let me apply this to make this really practical. I have two application points for us. Uh, The first one is acceptance. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says this Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This, in my opinion, is the very best definition of acceptance there is in the whole Bible. Look what it says. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence. Come just as you are. Be bold. Come to God. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And what that verse is saying is this. Come just as you are. God accepts you so that he can change you. So I'm going to give you a definition of acceptance that I came to about a month ago, and I've been thinking about it, and I really, really like this definition of acceptance. Acceptance is the willingness to work with it. God accepts us, meaning not that we don't need to change. No, we need to change. We can't stay the same. But he accepts us as we are so that he can change us. He's willing to work with it. He's not going to reject us outright at the door. He says, come on in. Let me help you. Willingness to work with it. If you accept your spouse, it doesn't mean that you affirm everything about them. It means that you're willing to work with it. If you accept our church, it doesn't mean that everything in our church is ideal and perfect. It means that you're willing to work with it. If you accept yourself, it means... I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I don't affirm everything about myself as the biblical ideal. But what else am I going to do? I'm going to work with it. The call in your life as somebody who is constantly changing is to take the attitude of acceptance. Be willing to work with it. Knowing change is what happens. When you accept. So here is the description of change. Acceptance is the door to change. If you want something to change, the first thing you have to figure out is how to accept it. How to get to a place where you are willing to work with it. God in Christ accepts you just as you are. So that he can change you. That's acceptance. Okay, the second application point is contradiction. God's perfection catalyzes change. God's perfection is like light that just eats away at the darkness. Check this out Luke chapter 5, verse 8. This is Simon Peter, one of uh, Jesus' disciples, encountering Jesus perform a powerful miracle. And this is what it says. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. The power of Christ, just a glimpse into the perfection that Jesus is, caused Peter to feel suddenly self-conscious about his own darkness. That is, Jesus' light began to contradict things in Peter. Now, contradiction is such a good thing, friends. We need contradiction in our life. I counted people in my life. I was on a walk with Susie, and it made, it made a list of people who are regularly contradicting me these days. There were six people, and two of those people are in this church. You know who you are. And Let me tell you, the first thing I want to say about these contradictors in my life is you are really really annoying. It is annoying to no end to have people contradict us. It really is. It's very inconvenient. Their timing is usually off. They don't know how to say it quite right. They're not actual wordsmiths. They don't understand the emotional state I'm in. They just speak contradiction. And they force me to go home and wrestle with it and think about it and deal with it. And then on the other side of all of that annoyance, I come out a better person. Regardless of the delivery mechanism or the emotional packaging that the message comes in, you need contradiction in your life. Because you need to change. You are not perfect. You need to grow, you need to be made more complete. You are not okay just as you are. The only person that should never, ever, ever be contradicted, that should never change, is Jesus. Everybody else outside of Christ needs to change. Make a list. Make your own list. Who speaks into your life? Who regularly contradicts you? Who has say in your life? I feel like the Northwest culture here doesn't quite allow for that kind of thing. I'll show you some contradictors in New York City like that. But here, I don't know. They're a little harder to come by. But you need contradiction. I'm going to give you a really um, easy tool to help you be contradicted in real time. Ask somebody that you know might contradict you an open question. About yourself or about a decision you're about to make. And when they give their honest, direct answer, you simply say, huh, and then walk away. Don't try to deal with it then because you're annoyed and upset at that moment. All you say is, huh, and then walk away and deal with it at home. Okay? So, a couple of other practical ways to uh, experience contradiction in your life the first one is through community. So you need a list of people who will contradict you. And one of the ways that you experience this regularly is through a push we're doing in small groups. Small groups is a great place for you to share your prayer requests, concerns that you have, things that you're struggling with, and an open official forum for people to speak Now, I want you to know, groups are not as smart as individuals, so they're going to say some dumb things, and group dynamics take over, and the crowd mentality is present. The hive mind is always not genius. But if you're okay with imperfect delivery and imperfect communication, there's a lot to be gleaned from what your group has to say to you. And um, um, conversely, if you are part of a group already, but the members of your group are not any better off than a year ago, you're not doing your job as a community. Why do you exist as a small group? You're there, in large part, to contradict each other. There's great pressure to affirm each other by being the same, by being, agree- by being agreeable on every point. But that's not the point. The point is to contradict It doesn't even matter if you're right. You just have to be a little bit different to force each other to grow. Another great way to experience contradiction is to get involved in experiences outside of your normal everyday life. We have three things that I can mention today. We have Nicholas Fund for Education, which works with very poor students to help fund their education and secure a better future for themselves. We have free wheelchair mission where we lift people up off the ground. We have Mary's Place, homeless moms and children who have no place to call home. And we set up shop here in our church for just one week. You expose yourself to these experiences. You start catching vision. You start understanding the heart of God in a different way. You start introducing, quote-unquote, different into your life. It's going to contradict what you know, what you feel comfortable with, what you are used to, and that's a good thing because you and I, were not perfect. We need to change. Do you have catalytic experiences in your life that are different than your everyday life? Please, for your own soul's sake, get involved in a community group, Make a list of contradictors. Try out Nicholas Fund for Education or Free Wheelchair Mission or Mary's Place. You are not okay just as you are. Let me conclude with this uh, benediction that I read for us earlier. I have it up for us on the screen in case you want to write it down or take a picture of it. Let's remember what perfection is all about. It's not about you and me. It's not about life here on earth. It's about Jesus Christ, who alone is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus has no needs, no deficiencies, no ulterior motives, and no conflicts of interest. He has no anxieties, no fears, is always loving, and therefore never under or over-functioning. He makes no mistakes, has no regrets, and is always wise. He is entirely trustworthy, fully engaged, and without limitations. He is all-powerful, all-wise, faithful, true, and good. He understands completely, and yet he is merciful, just, humble, and righteous. From him, through him. And to him are all things. And in him all things hold together. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Would you pray with me? God, it is to you that we recite this doxology, this praise, this exaltation. It's not for me It's not for anybody in this room. You alone are worthy of worship. I will never, nor should I ever be worshiped, nor should anybody in this room ever strive for perfection outside of Christ. God, we confess that we are caught up in this world trying to hold up appearances, trying to be perfect, disappointed in ourselves constantly that we are not perfect, frustrated with our life because our life isn't perfect. God, what a, what a waste. Help us to understand, God, your plan all along was for all of creation to be in you, for everything outside of you to perish. So, God, bring us up in you through Christ. Help us to put our faith, our confidence, our hope in you, not in ourselves, not in each other, not in this world. Help us to look to you, to understand and be satisfied in the perfection that you are. You are worthy of our worship. You alone, Lord Jesus. By your blood, we are in you. By your life, we are in you. By your mercy, we are in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.